Welcome to episode 17 of the College Football Podcast, brought to you by ESPN Player in association with Gridiron. The magazine's editor, Matthew Sherry, joins me as always. I am Simon Clancy, and we are looking at the raft of terrific games around about New Year's Day in terms of bowl games in college football. We're going to have a very uh, rattle through seven of them, Matthew, uh, starting with Michigan State. Oregon. And we talked about him in the last podcast. Justin Herbert decided to stay in Eugene for his senior season. Um, sort of surprising both of us in a way in terms of the fact that he was likely going to be the top pick in in uh, April's draft. Up against a disappointing Michigan State side who we saw personally against Ohio State. very They struggled really with the injury to Brian Lewerke here and uh, Rocky Lombardi wasn't able to get them going on that day. Uh, to me, Oregon... You know, looked at times one of the, I suppose, top six teams in the country, yep. but really weren't able to to be consistent enough across the season. Where, where do you see this one in terms of Michigan State, Oregon? I'm, I mean, I'm fairly confident Oregon will win this. I think they'll put the cap on what's been a really nice first season for for Mario Cristobal. And one one thing we never mentioned about the Herbert decision is I genuinely think Oregon are a potential national championship contender next year. So. This could be a really nice way for them to set the stage for that a little bit. Um, Cristobal started great, great recruiting, haven't they? As well, been a, a yeah, great top five recruiting for. class, the the greatest recruiting class in in school history. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot to like about what's happening with Oregon at the moment, and and this is this is you know Justin Herbert. Now, this would have been a big game from had he declared as well, because this is a proper defense. I mean, Michigan State are absolutely atrocious on offense, but the, <laughs> but they're really really good on defense. So it for for fans of of the draft process down the line and to keep a track of a guy, this is a good game to watch Justin Herbert. And these are the kind of games that scouts are going to watch against a pro style, very good defense. He'll play a lot of press man coverage. And also he's going to have to throw the ball a lot because Michigan state number one ranked team against yep. the run in, in the country. Uh, they allow 81, I think 81 and a half yards per game, which is a, a, a national low. So, so Justin Herbert is going to have to, he's going to have to put it up throughout the game. And, you know, they're going to have to, um, you, if you haven't seen him, you're going to get a chance to see a very accurate quarterback, um, a very, very good, very proficient seam ball thrower. And probably, um, you know, he, he will manipulate the pocket. He's got good feet in the pocket. Um, but what you will see him do, uh, and you'll hear scouts talk about this and as we get closer to the, to the draft, he makes consistent NFL throws, which are those back shoulder throws, which are those throws across the field, um, using that arm strength, that velocity, so the digs, the out routes, those sorts of things. He will throw guys open. That's the difference when you look at a guy like him compared to somebody like Will Greer, who I think will fall away a little bit when you get into the, to the draft process just in terms of the arm strength and really his inability to make to make those big-time NFL throws. What you're seeing is he's making lots of throws, lots of completions, but he's doing it against zone coverages. He's doing it against soft man coverage. Um, uh, th- these are the small differences, aren't they, Matt, in terms of when it comes to scouting quarterbacks that you will see with Justin Herbert. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and like I say, you know, Michigan State, more than most defences in college football play, press man, they, they produce good cornerbacks basically every year, first and second round guys. So... It's a great, it's a great game to watch him in. It's the kind of game that if I was going to scout Herbert for this for the draft this year, this would be the kind of game I'd watch in terms of level of comp. 
That is the Red Box Bowl. You'll be able to see that at 8 o'clock UK time on uh, New Year's Eve. Let's let's hurry through to uh, another quarterback, uh, Drew Locke, that we talked about last week, playing his final game for Missouri against Oklahoma State in the Liberty Bowl, which is 8.45, so 45 minutes afterwards, kicking off on New Year's Eve. Where do you see this one, uh, and how do you see this one? Because... Missouri are an interesting team, aren't they? A good, sort of solid SEC team. Kelly Bryant obviously coming in next season to take over from Drew Locke. Um, this should be a, a fascinating uh, fascinating matchup. Tigers averaging 36.9 points per game, 468 yards per game. Cowboys putting up 38.4 and 500. So therefore it should be a, a fascinating shootout. Probably end up 6-6 or something. But this, you know, this is an intriguing game between two high-scoring teams. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Cornelius was, was really good at quarterback this year and, and Oklahoma State ended the season in a, in a bit of a whimper record-wise. I mean, they lost three of the last four, but they lost those games all by a touchdown. You know, they're a team that generally don't get blown out. I mean, the only time we saw it really this year was against Texas Tech early in the season. So I would think Oklahoma State have the firepower to keep this game close and... It, I think this could be one of the better games that you see because it'll be high scoring, it'll be a real shootout and also you get to see you know, a guy who we mentioned on the last podcast who you've just mentioned now as a potential first round pick in the draft in Drew Locke as well. So this is, I would I would give the edge to the SEC team. I think that Missouri will, will probably come out on top but this could be a game that goes down to the fourth quarter and, and in an entertaining fashion as well. I mean, a lot of score and a lot of movement up and down the field. What you'll see as well, Oklahoma State have a real ability to get after the quarterback, Jordan Brailford. Um, 10 sacks this season, 39 total sacks for, for that defence. That sort of matchup in the trenches should be a you know against a veteran Missouri offensive line. There's also one of the best we talked about Oklahoma in the last podcast being one of the best. They've only allowed 13 sacks in 12 games. Should be a uh, really interesting sort of game within the game in the trenches. Yeah, absolutely. I, I just think that the, it's one of those really intriguing matchups all the way around. This one, um, you know, there's a lot of bigger games in terms of names, but this is one where actually when you... I mean, Wisconsin-Miami last night is a big game in terms of names and it finished 31-3. So sometimes it's about it's about finding the matchups within the game. If you're looking for looking for draft talent, if you're uh, somebody who's keeping an eye on on draft talent but haven't been quite across it, Missouri have a tight end who goes by the name of Albert O, mainly because his second name is so difficult to pronounce, but uh, I shall have a go at utterly ruining it. Uh, Aqua... No, there you go, you see. Aqua Brunner... Yeah. <laughs> Albert O... Keep an eye out for him because uh, I think you'll find him probably a top 60 pick um, when it comes down. He may be the third tight end off the board if he declares behind sort of Noah Fant and TJ Hawkinson, the, the, the great Iowa duo. Um, but Albert O is a big pass-catching tight end who can also block. He should be a um, he should be an interesting uh, interesting guy moving forward. Matt, what do you think? Uh, what do you think about this one, Missouri? For you, you think? Yeah, just about Missouri, but like I said, I do think Oklahoma State are the, are, the, are the kind of team who will keep it close. Yeah, that is the Liberty Bowl. Like I said, kicking off 45 minutes after after the first one that we talked about, Michigan State, Oregon, in the Red Box Bowl. Let's kick on to Tuesday, uh, New Year's Day, 5 o'clock UK time, for a team that we just talked about, Iowa, with those tight ends, uh, Fan and Hawkinson. Um, against Mississippi State, the 18th-ranked Mississippi State Bulldogs, who sort of fell away a little bit mid-season, came back strong once they'd worked out exactly how to work Dick Fitzgerald into that offense. And, uh, and it really took time, didn't it, Matt, for for them to 
for them to really because it felt, felt a lot like a square peg in a round hole to start with didn't it but Mississippi State came back back into the season 8-4 and four now against the 8-4 and four Hawkeyes in Tampa it'll be a uh, again a I hate to keep saying it, but it will be another fascinating matchup. And, and and can Mississippi State's defense shut down Iowa on offense? Because this is the number one scoring defense, number three total defense in the nation. Um, and you kind of feel that Mississippi State maybe should have won more if they managed to work out what they were doing with Fitzgerald earlier in the season. So you know that. And I, that, I, that second I think Mississippi Mississippi State fans might look back upon this as the season of what might have yeah, been missed because. You know, it, it shows the impact of a coaching change. If Dan Mullen had stayed one more year, I genuinely think Mississippi State could have been in the mix for the playoff. Because their the defence is so loaded. I mean, no, I didn't see that coming entering the season. The defence has been absolutely awesome all year. And and the issue has been, you know, Joe Moe has, has had a really nice first season as head coach. But the issue has been exactly what you've just said. They were transferring Nick Fitzgerald, who was a guy who si entered the season we thought was was a Heisman candidate. We we absolutely loved him, and and you know it just didn't. It took them too long to figure out how to make that work. And you know, had Mullen stayed with a system in which Fitzgerald was was easily one of the best quarterbacks in the SEC alongside that defense, I, th- I genuinely think that. They could have given any team hell. I mean, they, they they really shut down Alabama for the majority of the game that they played against them on defense. They, Alabama got on top of them early, but then after that, Mississippi State were, were great on defense, but they just couldn't score any points because it was when they were in that funk on offense. I mean, and we saw that funk manifest itself in a game against Florida where I think they scored seven points, you know. A really frustrating season for Mississippi State, but I, I think this is a one that they can end on a high. Because I mean, I were a good team as well, and 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 built a little bit differently to usual in that you know I were usually a low score and run the ball kind of team who were just very good on defense. And elements of their defense are great. Again, their run defense is is outstanding, but they they also take the ball away well on on defense as well with interceptions. But you know that they've got a really good offense this year, Iowa, which is something that we never usually say. So, and that's again what makes this a fascinating game because it's kind of strength meeting strength in in multiple areas. But I would I would give the edge here to to Mississippi State because I I just think they're one of the more talented teams in the country, and it's a real shame that either. Mullen stayed on, or maybe if they could have just had another three months to figure it out before the season, I think they could have could have done a lot more damage than they have done. Be interesting to see the Iowa quarterback Nate Stanley, who people talk about as a potential draft, an interesting draft quarterback. He's a junior. He's submitted his paperwork, or he's submitted feedback paperwork to the the advisory committee. He's he's been suffering a thumb injury all season, which has really limited his ability. But he has a massive arm. He's six foot four, two hundred and forty pounds. He's a prototype type of guy. You kind of feel like he needs to stay in for that for the yeah. for a senior season. But he could be a he could be one of those rising quarterbacks next season if the thumb injury was as bad as as people thought it potentially was in terms of affecting his grip, affecting his accuracy, those sorts of things. He he's well worth keeping an eye on if you are um, again if you are looking. Uh, towards the NFL draft and uh, uh, and those sorts of things. Let's skip along uh, another game that we uh, we will all be watching. Um, the kind of the what might have been bowl, I think, is one of the the, the things that we should probably call this. It, it, it is the Fiesta Bowl. It's number eight UCF against number eleven uh, LSU, and obviously Mackenzie Milton not playing in this game. And, and you wonder, Matt, before we get to the 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 what will be. The what might have been if Mackenzie Milton had been playing in this game? Do you think that UCF would have won it? 
Um, I mean, yeah, I think they would have. I think they might still win it without him. I mean, I think this could be a good game even without Milton, but certainly with him, I would have given them every chance. And and and, and that's not to to do down LSU at all because I thought LSU for for spells were the best were the best team in mm. college football yeah. this year. I mean, that, I think they've had a great season themselves. But yeah, I mean. If UCF win, I think this game has bigger picture implications in that if UCF wins this without Milton, it almost further accelerates the process of getting that 18 playoff by 2020 because, you know, it's two unbeaten seasons on the spin if they do. And it's, it's one of them on the back of playing the last four games without the man who really we all perceived as the heartbeat of that unbeaten team and the reason that they were unbeaten. So... So yeah, I, I, but you know, I didn't think the offense took that much of a step back without him. Um, you know, I, I really, really believe here that 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 UCF have, have a chance. I don't know what you think, Sai, but I, I think this will be a good game. Well, I, I think it'll be a fascinating game because I think that Daryl Mack, who will replace Mackenzie Milton and look good down the stretch at the end of the season in those final game and a half, really, he's had a month now to prepare as the starter for this team, and he's going up against an LSU defense that is missing that will be missing Greedy Williams. Greedy Williams and Christian Fulton so Christian Fulton and yep. now we talked about at the start of the season who missed two years um, but has come back and has performed like a first round a first round quarterback both guys will not be playing in this game um, and I think there's opportunities there for 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 UCF to, to do damage and I think if they can keep Jack Eye polite the, the, the likely first round defensive end in check they can keep Joe Burrow in the, in the pocket um, I, I think um I think there could be some huge possibilities for UCF to win this game. Uh, you're going to have to do. Yeah, it. I mean, the, the only negative is, I mean, Devin White's playing, isn't he? he is. So that's the heartbeat of LSU. He is. is is gonna is gonna not take the Grady Williams route and, and play the game. But I, I think this will be close, mate. I, I just got a feeling that UCF are going to win it. I, I really too. do. I just I think they've got this special thing going in that building, in that program, and you know. I could just see them winning it, and I think it would be great if they did. It would be awesome for for the wider ramifications on college football as well. Kentucky, Penn State. Where do you see that one ending up? I mean, two Kentucky is sort of the the bridesmaid team for much of the season in terms of just such a fascinating story before they finally fell away um, in that uh, what essentially was an SEC East decider against uh, against Georgia. Uh, Citrus Bowl against Penn State, number twelve Penn State against number fourteen Kentucky. How do you see this one playing out? I think this could be an awesome game. I mean, I think from from everything I've seen, that Benny Snell and Josh Allen are going to play yeah, for absolutely. Kentucky. So, it, it, this is a game of of that. That to me sums up why Kentucky have been so good this season. In that they've clearly just built that chemistry in the team that is underlined by two guys who are going to be. I mean, I think Josh Allen will be a top five pick. Benny Snell will be one of the earlier running backs taken in the draft as well. So. You know, the fact that those guys are willing to play, and, and it's a much easier landscape not to play now. I mean, you see the year-in, year-out guys skipping the ball game when, they, when they're entering the draft. So I think that sums up why Kentucky have been so good and why this should be a good game. And I mean, from for Penn State's perspective, you know, when we went to that Michigan game, Si, and, and Michigan really blew them out, I thought Penn State's season was going to fall apart. And they were unbeaten for the rest of the year. Uh, and I think that's a testament to James Franklin, who, you know, he has his ludicrous moments like the Ohio State call. But 
is one of the best coaches in college football and um, I, I think this will be a, another fascinating game be, and also you know we get to see the end of one of the great quarterback yeah. careers of the of the last ten years as well in in Trace McSorley. So there's a lot to there's a lot to really like and enjoy in this game. Um, mainly, I mean that what what makes bowl season at times so fun is you get two ends of the spectrum. You get to see these guys who've had great college careers sign off, like a Chase Winovich, like a McSorley, and guys like that. But then you also get to see a lot of teams will put in guys who are going to play more next year and you maybe get to see some guys who you haven't yet become familiar with as well yeah I mean again arguably my favourite player in the entire draft is in this game in Josh Allen the the outside linebacker slash defensive end 6'5 260 pounds he won the Bednarik the Nagurski the lot I think he was SEC defensive player of the year consensus first team All-American he had 14 sacks 18 and a half tackles for loss 5 forced fumbles um, he is a phenomenal player who Penn State are going to have to be aware of on every single down because he can drop back in coverage he can play the run well and obviously he can get after the quarterback he is a um, with, he's a stud isn't he yeah with Quinn and Williams and Nick Bosa I think for me those three are the best the best three defensive players in the draft now I'll be surprised you know the draft process is is months away but I would be surprised if that changed between now and April as well I, I think th- quickly here this this one really comes down to a battle between the two running backs Miles Sanders and um, and uh, Benny Snell Benny, Benny Snell, Snell. Um, as you mentioned, uh, and the two cornerbacks, Trace McSorley and, and Terry Wilson, and really that's where the edge is for Penn State for me. And that McSorley, yeah. you know, whilst not a conventional passer, I just think has you know he can take a t- he can take that team on his shoulders by the fact that he can run so well that they can design the James Franklin. He's also go on, sorry. He's also absolutely the kind of guy who will deliver a performance in his last game. Because I mean, you know, he's not going to probably not going to be an NFL quarterback. This is his last meaningful big bright ball, lights though. game. He is, in the senior, he is one of the senior bowl quarterbacks, so it'll be interesting. To see. I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be a fascinating, yeah, scouting what? scenario of the next few uh, weeks. A Taysom Hill type he, character potentially. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. I think he signs off in style in this one. One player to keep an eye on, I think, will be Ricky Slade, the the freshman running back that Penn State fans are so high on. Uh, if Miles Sanders does declare for the draft, he may end up sitting out this game. Uh, and Slade would um, Slade would play, start, and you'll be able to see the sort of the, uh, not quite Saquon Barkley talent, but he, he is very, very, very highly rated by, by Nittany Lion watchers. Uh, and Sanders uh, as well himself, a, a very good a very good college running back who should be a, um, a a decent NFL player as well. Two more games: Washington, Ohio State. Matt, where do you where do you see this one playing? I think this could again could be the final game um, for for Dwayne Haskins. The the Rose Bowl, number six Ohio State, number nine Washington. For me, this is a this is a big Ohio State victory. Yeah, I mean you you have to think so. I mean Urban Meyer's last game in theory as a college football coach. Um, before he starts his uh, his leadership and ethics oh. course that he's going to teach, <laughs> oh, which was one of the most remarkable stories of the last few weeks. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, uh, whatever you'd say about Urban Meyer, the man, Urban Meyer, the coach, is is one of the greatest of all time. And if this is his last game as a as a coach, which I mean, maybe it will be. I've no, it's impossible to know with with health things. But I mean, I would guess it isn't. But it'll certainly be his last game at Ohio State, which. And it's interesting, Si, I don't know whether 
A question on Urban Meyer. When you look back at him in 10 years' time, will you remember Florida or Ohio State more Florida. in terms of which programme is going to be more synonymous with him? Florida. Yeah, I think so as well. I think he needed another couple of years and maybe one more title for it to be Ohio State. But, yeah, I mean, but certainly this is the programme he feels like he has the... It feels like he has the deepest connection with personally. I think this could be a. I like Washington's defense, but I think they I think they could run into a buzzsaw in this game. I mean, it's it's the Rose Bowl. It's got that special the special atmosphere that you associate with that as well. And and I just Dwayne Haskins had a fascinating season. He started brilliantly. He ended brilliantly. He had a really bad spell in the middle where I thought I personally thought it looked like he'd been found out a little bit, but actually he seemed to recover from that. Quite nicely, and I, and I think I think this is going to be a buzzsaw type scenario. Uh, Dwayne Haskins kind of announcing himself to the world as an NFL draft guy, and Urban Meyer announcing his goodbye to the world. And and I think that that's a tough ask. I mean, if Washington win it, it will be really impressive given all the circumstances surrounding the game. I just don't think the Huskies have good enough defensive players to match up. You know, on the ground it's J.K. Dobbins, but through the air, you know, it's K.J. Hill and it's McLaurin and it's Johnny Dixon, and it's one of my favourite players in college football, Paris Campbell. Um, I, I just don't. I just think there's there's too much talent on that Ohio State offense. I, I'm not a massive fan of their defense, but I just don't think that that the Huskies will have enough to to get across the line in the Rose Bowl. I think it will be a comfortable a comfortable win for the Buckeyes. One, one player to look. It out also for. it it signs off the career of one of the most what might have been quarterbacks in Jake Browning Absolutely. as well. Because I ne, never have I seen a guy who I've previously been so excited about just continuously operate at the same level without ever making the strides without that you thought he would better. absolutely watch out for Byron Murphy the Washington cornerback because he could end up being a top 15 top 20 pick in the, in the draft a, a very good sticky hit a very good loose hipped cornerback um, who will uh, who should uh, you know will go one on one probably with KJ Hill maybe with Campbell although Campbell will probably play a, a little more out of the slot and out of the backfield so that will be a very interesting battle to to see. And then finally, Matt, the Sugar Bowl. Number five, Georgia, probably the unlucky team on the outside looking in. Really, you know, they should have beaten Alabama in the SEC title game and they should be getting ready to play potentially, well, who knows, who would they get be getting ready to play. But, it, 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 you know, disappointment, they'll have been able to put that behind them, you hope. Um, I think, again, much like the, the Rose Bowl, this should be a comfortable Georgia win, much like the Rose Bowl should be a comfortable Ohio State win. Hoping that Georgia have got over the the heartbreak of losing the SEC title game and, uh, and a shot of the national championship, but in Jake Fromm and DeAndre Swift uh, and Riley Ridley, they have offensive players who should be more than a matchup for Texas. Yeah, I'm not sure with Texas are, are, are that good, and certainly I don't think they're good enough to hang with Georgia, who, like we said in the last pod, are probably one of the best four teams in the country. The only the only way Texas win this game is if what well, you've just alluded to, Georgia, have the biggest hangover ever to lose in that SEC title game and whether maybe you know the air goes out of the whole programme because they feel like they've already their season's already a failure because you know Georgia ended this season with national championship ambitions so I remember when Alabama lost to Oklahoma in a bowl game a few years ago where it was clear that once that gold at the end of the rainbow had been taken from them they, they kind of give up on it but yeah, I, I would think Georgia if, if both teams ended this game with 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 the intention of of kind of really putting on a show, I think Georgia will win comfortably. And I think Georgia's offense 
and Georgia's defense are both significantly better than yeah. Texas's offense and Texas. I, I can't think of a matchup where I would no, favor Texas. Me neither. In this game. And even without D.D. Baker, DeAndre Baker, the the likely top fifteen, top twenty cornerback who's going to sit out this game, um, I, I just don't see. Tom Herman's team having anybody that is really going to threaten you know I, I like Sam Ellinger I think he's a decent player I think they've got decent players on the perimeter but I just don't see them getting over the line in this one I think again a comfortable victory for the SEC side you can see all of these games on ESPN player you can read about them uh, in Clancy on campus and in the magazine Gridiron magazine which will be running right up until uh, what the draft through the draft issue then Matt and then off for a couple of months and then yeah. back um Ahead of the new season, yeah, we'll be back with the the, the big book magazine ahead of the new season. Absolutely. So yeah, we might have a, we might have an extra special extra magazine Ooh, next year. Exciting, as well. exciting times! Thanks for tuning in. Uh, we shall be back to review all of this stuff and then preview the national championship game, which should be an absolute zinger. Um, don't forget uh, to to check those games out tomorrow night. The college football playoff. Number two, Clemson. Number three, Notre Dame. Followed by number four, Oklahoma. Number one, Alabama. Those games in Dallas and in Miami, respectively, ahead of what should be an incredible national championship game. Between Matt, I think, Alabama and Clemson, you would say? Yeah, and I'm never more excited for part four of a, yeah. of a series. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, what, what comes after a trilogy? Uh Quadruple. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll get back to you on that one in the next pod. Thanks for listening. See you soon. No worries, man. What should we, should we bring it together again on? 